Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. You are now tuned in to the Jags Den Podcast, the official podcast of the Jaguars Wire, brought to you by USA Today Sports Media Group, and also the number one Jaguars podcast on the airwaves. What is up, Jaguar Nation? Welcome back to the Jags Den Podcast. I am your host, Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino, and we are recording here on a Victory Monday. Man, That's rare for us, feel- right? <laughs> I know. Man, it feels good to be to be talking to you guys in the middle of a winning streak. So here we are. And of course, joined uh, I'm joined as always with Jacob DeLawrence and James Johnson. Uh, of course, we are from the Jaguars Wire via USA Today. Gentlemen, how was y'all's weekend? How are y'all doing today? Tiring. But it's, it's all worth it when it's a tiring weekend that resulted in wins. So uh, I can't complain for uh, for that reason. <laughs> um, pretty much what James said. Um, a little little tired. Don't know why too much, but uh, it was a good weekend. You know, Jags picked up a win, and um, yeah. Yeah, guys. It's like we said, it's not too often we get to talk after <laughs> multiple victories in a row. But we will. We are, we hope to to continue that trend uh, before we get started of course make sure that you're following the jaguars wire on all of our site links you can find us at jaguarswire.usatoday.com as well as at the jaguars wire on twitter um with the podcast is at jags Den podcast you can find jay at sports drawing underscore don and jacob at underscore jay della and i am at filipino f-i-l-i-p-i-n-o of course make sure that you're following the podcast as well on itunes stitcher Tune in, iHeartRadio, Spotify, as well as USA Today's Audio Boom Network. Pretty much if you want to listen to us, you can find us anywhere. And the best way that you can support the podcast is go on iTunes. Give us that five-star review. That would help us out quite a bit. Um, but, gentlemen, usually we start off with some quick hits, but we don't really have any to, to get to. We pretty much just want to talk about yesterday's victory in the Mile High City over the Denver Broncos, 26-24. We got a little Minshew magic. We got some. We got Leonard Fournette woke up finally. And then we got the Lambo legend, of course, doing his dance at the end of the game. And we are going to get into all of that here today. Um, before we start and getting into the topics, I want to go over the box score here. Um, it was a little rough in the first half. Not a lot of action whatsoever. Um, but Gardner Minshew did finish 19 of 33. 213 yards and two touchdowns, including a John Elway, Brett Favre-esque scramble on the pocket that Ended up in a touchdown to Rock Armstead. Of course, the big story on offense of the day, as I mentioned, was Leonard Fournette coming alive and turning back the clock, it seemed, for 29 carries, 225 yards, including an 81-yard rush earlier in the game. And uh, he almost surpassed Fred Taylor's single-game rushing record, um, but did not quite get there. Rock Armstead finally got some action. He had eight carries for 42 yards. D.D. Westbrook led the way as far as receivers, five catches, 66 yards. A little bit of a quieter day for D.J. Chark, four catches, 44 yards. And then the touchdowns were caught 
by James O'Shaughnessy and the aforementioned Rock Armstead. In terms of the defense, uh, not, not a whole lot of um, not a whole lot of action there on that side. Of course, we had uh, Jalen Ramsey sitting out. Um, he did attend the game and did make the flight out to Denver, but uh, did not play, um, as, as we all know. Jared Wilson led the way with eight tackles along with Quincy Williams, and Trey Herndon got beat all over the field. But other than that, the defense... <laughs> able yes, he to- did. <laughs> <laughs> and we will get into Trey Herndon and some of the other things that happened um, in the game. But yeah, guys, so looking at this box score, you know, like I said, the first half was a little difficult to watch. And then it seemed the second half, finally things got going, specifically Leonard Fournette. You know, just really looking at it at the, the, you know, the top level before we get into our topics, what did you see uh, that you guys liked and what sticks out to you from this box score? Oh, yeah, man. It was it was good to see the Ryan game come back to life um, because even I, I guess in the first half you could say it was kind of still the, the team was kind of a little bit on the lethargic side, still trying to basically uh, find their bearings and get back on track. But uh, it – Man, I don't know what was said in halftime uh, by DeFlippo or, or Marone or whoever the case may be, but they came out and um, and according to, uh, I forget, it was one of the actual reporters uh, from Jaguars.com, if I'm not mistaken, it was uh, Brian Sexton that said you could just tell like they had a fire in their eyes when they came out of the locker room and they, they had that look that they were going to turn things around. And that first drive, man, 16 plays, 75 yards it took up 10 minutes y'all 10 minutes and 24 seconds uh and of course most of that was due to Leonard Fournette who came to life in that drive and he had multiple carries throughout that drive and of course uh the end result was Rock Armstead getting his touchdown and Leonard kind of talked about that and uh hold up is that oh yeah that's my own computer with a noise Oh yeah, mine just did that. Is um, yeah, <laughs> I was like, wait, is that mine or y'all's? <laughs> For those listening at home, we have the box score open just to double check, make sure we get our numbers right because we like to be accurate here. <laughs> and ESPN, of course, has embedded videos that love to autoplay randomly. <laughs> so that noise that you hear in the background would be me and Jay's computer playing this random clip from the Jags game. <laughs> right, right. But uh, yes, yeah, to continue, uh, yeah, Rock Armstead stole Leonard Fournette's touchdown because, of course. Uh, you know, Little Fournette had to come out in that play. Or was that the – yeah, I think that was the first touchdown that they had. And, uh, yeah, that being said, it was good to see Rock involved in this because a lot of people have been asking about him. Like, when when are they going to get the rookie some, some touches, especially with Fournette struggling in weeks one, two, and uh, mostly in week three as well. So that was good to see. I was kind of curious myself when he was going to get some touches because I was kind of high on that draft pick as he was taken in the fifth round. Uh, and then they got another touchdown, like two drives later, if I'm not mistaken. And that was the one in which went to O'Shaughnessy. Uh, by the way, that play call to hit O'Shaughnessy with the double fake uh, routes into the flats was a beautiful play call by John Filippo. Uh, I guess we could talk on that one day later, but he's done a very good job since getting the job uh at least in the first quarter he's done a good job especially granted the circumstances with Nick Foles um but yeah that was a good uh play call on his behalf and just in general this game was kind of called beautifully in my opinion and then uh yeah we had some late game heroics everybody kind of stepped in contributed he had contributed 
contributions from Didi. You had contributions from DJ Chark. You had contributions from Josh Lambo <laughs> making the game winner against like twelve mile mile an hour win or whatever it was blowing in his face. Yeah, we had full <laughs> so, sighting. Yeah, man, I was like, oh, it's a blizzard out there almost, basically minus the snow. But yeah, man, all around, man, just like a good effort in the second half for everybody to come to life and come together and come from behind and show resilience uh that's something especially uh kudos to garden Minshew that we wouldn't have seen in the past on the blake Bortles, and that's something that i think people should keep in mind heading forward is uh that ability that gardner has given us to come from behind late in games especially uh it was the it was the houston game at first he almost did it they were literally inches short from the goal line and winning that one and then they do it here so uh, that resilience, which we'll talk on later when we talk about Gardner, was good to see in uh, overall impressive second half for the Jags. Um, yeah, definitely. Basically, I have the same sentiments as you because I'm just looking at this real quick. This is how you can tell. Well, I don't want to say this is a different team from last year or from years prior, excluding the championship run. But you can tell that this is one of those games where – more or less makes or breaks the Jaguar season because going into half, they were down 17 to six. Mm-hmm. Many Jaguar teams of the past would have been like, you know what? Screw it. All right, let's tuck it in. Let's go home. We ain't got this one. Whatever. <laughs> that second half, specifically that third quarter, you could tell that the team was like, all right, we're better than this. Let's shake this off. Let's all come out here and fight. And like you said, coming out the gate with almost a 20 play drive that ate up 10 minutes of the whole quarter and was like, all right, we got this. Right. That gives you some momentum. So yeah, this is one of those where if we look back at the Jag season and they're mm-hmm. able to salvage and let's say maybe they somehow still nine wins. We got to come back and look at week four against Denver and be like, that's where the things turned and went toward the positive where the team came together and believed themselves. It's like, oh yeah, we got this now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that it was good to for them to show that fight, and like I said, we, like you said as well, they they haven't really showed that in the past, and that's something that could kind of spearhead them heading forward. Um, and I mean another key thing here is they come out of the the first quarter of the season five hundred. And that's right about where most people had them coming out this quarter of the season, regardless as to like which two games you thought they would win. Uh, the bottom line is they they are basically coming out of this part of the season as they were last year, if I can recall. Uh, of course, you know, it was a lot of season left and some things went down and it kind of went all downhill. But look, right now, you got to be happy for the most part uh, about where the Jaguars are heading into the second quarter of the season. Oh, at one point, I'm sitting here looking through the win probability. At one point in the second quarter, almost going to right before the second field goal, the Broncos had a 90, like 5% win probability. And I understand you had a whole half of football left, <laughs> right. but if you just watch it, like teeters down to 70, 80, 60 for the Broncos, it goes to Jags way when they start making that run. And then it kind of just dips a little back for the Broncos and then the Jags snatch it away. So again, this is just showing that the team is able to withstand a fight and it's like, all right, look, we're going to go down. We're going to go down swinging. Case in point, you saw the Houston game. So there's progress here. Yep. And we probably have the rookie of the year under center. Yeah. It's, it's been amazing to watch. Uh, we'll watch that later. Uh, one thing I did want to say, or we'll talk about that later. One thing I did want to say is uh, I think it helped 
and, and I know this is your boy Jacob, but I, I think it helped that they got Joe Flacco's number as well. I don't know what it is about him in the last three times they played him, but yeah, they just seemingly just they come to life against him, especially like in the second half of the game, and uh, that that was the case. It, uh, that was the case here. I mean, albeit like he wasn't on the field for the times they were scoring touchdowns. It was their defense that couldn't stop the Jags. But, yeah, I don't know. Like, they just – it seemed like every Joe Flacco game that they played in as of late, they uh, they've just seemingly come back to beat the team or has beat the team handily or, or whatever the case may be. Sir, I was in London with some extremely good seats to watch and witness that beat <laughs> Yeah, down. I remember that. That so, 44 or whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was ugly quick. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I will say that the Jaguars have Joe Flacco's number. I don't know what it is. I couldn't tell you. Flacco's no longer my problem. <laughs> I think I thank Joe, Joe for my Super Bowl ring. Should have been two or three. I'm not too mad. I wish you the best in Denver. I'm enjoying my quarterback now. <laughs> quarterbacks oh yeah we got miss you too but i'm in baltimore i'm enjoying right, right, right. my quarterback <laughs> that should be a receiver because he on my fantasy team so anyway phil we digress from the point <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean to kind of add to what you guys are saying it was kind of like the anti-jaguar game right just like jacob said in years past this would have been a game that said oh we're down by 11 let's pack it up you know, and then Jay, you alluded to the that beautiful play on the touchdown pass to O'Shaughnessy, and I tweeted this out um, last night. Blake Bortles would have sailed that thing into the Rocky Mountains, yeah. man. Like we, <laughs> they would have never found that football. And uh, and of course, Minshew just you know delivers a dime, and it's just a great play. Something we haven't seen from this offense in such a long time. So really, you know, just and and. and them just driving down the field, you know, giving some giving up the touchdown to, you know, really, really quickly to I think it was Sutland. That's that's the Jag. That's Jag old Jaguars moving the ball down the field and getting it into field goal range. That's new Jaguars. And that's what we hope to see a lot more of. So, yeah, it was it was a great, great trip for the uh, great for the team to come out with a victory. And also on the Jaguars, the BCB road trip as well, which uh, hasn't come up with a victory last year. They went to Dallas. And then the year before, they went to Tennessee. So it hasn't been, been they haven't had a lot of luck on that road trip. So good for them. And hope everybody had a good time up in Denver. Um, but yeah, so we'll always, we'll get to the good and the bad and the ugly as far as the game. Like we said, no quick hits to get to this week. So um, as far as the good, you could even say the great um, was, was Leonard Fournette, who finally finally came to life this season. We've been waiting to see this from him, you know, since the, the, all the talk of, you know, of him improving in the offseason and going to Wyoming to clear his head and get it in better shape. And there have been moments during the year we have seen the burst we have not seen from him since year one. And we definitely saw that yesterday. And they just had no answer for him, guys. As we, we talked about before, 29 carries, 225 yards, including that 81-yard game, uh, gain that uh, put them in position for that, that first score. So, guys, what did you see that of Leonard Fournette here yesterday, uh, yesterday that was, you know, just – you know, that made you feel good. What, what did you see specifically out of him? And why was he able to have such so much success against this team? Hold on. Hold on. Let, me, let me get this one real quick. Jay. Let me yeah, start this go one ahead. How, how do you rush for 225 yards and not get a sick, not hit pay dirt once? One time. <laughs> you rush for 225 with an 81-yard sprint 
and you don't hit pay dirt like one time. That's what I'm really trying to figure out. Just looking at this, I'm like, okay, 225, 29 carries. He put about eight every carry, 81 yard burner. Okay, cool. Oh, wait, he has no touchdowns. How? How? How, how does this happen? But um, as far as why Fournette was able to run all over the Broncos, who have, for the most part, a relatively solid and consistent top 10 defense, it really just came down to blocking against schemes. Like, for once, the Jaguars were actually able to get their run blocking where, hey, we have more blockers than they're sending people. So it's freeing Fournette to find a lane. And I've always said the issue with Leonard Fournette is not so much – Kidding. Well, let me, let me phrase this. The issue with Fournette is that he has to find a hole to hit to get out and free, and then he becomes more deadly. Because if you just contain him, he's just going to try to bowl you over in his five yards. Fournette in the open, nobody wants to hit that. Or it's really, really hard to hit and to take down by yourself if you're the safety or a corner trying to come in and make a play. Yeah, ask so. Dawson. What, uh, I think that was Dawson <laughs> that made tackle on him on that 81-yard play. Yeah, it's not easy. Like, So that's the thing with Fournette is if you keep him bottled up, then, yeah, he'll probably get 100 yards just because of attrition. After four quarters, you're like, man, I'm tired of hitting him. So it just starts to pile up. Those two yards become five yards. But once they're blocked and he can pop to the outside or he can cut right through the middle, make a linebacker miss, and he's gone, yeah, that's where Fournette becomes dangerous and deadly. And that's how he was able to run for 225 with no touchdowns. You couldn't give me one one touchdown. That's all I wanted. It's just one. Yeah, like I was saying, I think again on the uh that first drive of the the uh, second half when he ran the eighty one yard uh the eighty one yard game, he had to come out. Of course, like we all saw him uh do the hand gesture to the sideline, like "Hey, get me out! I need to, <laughs> I need a, I need some of that oxygen on the sideline or whatever the case may be." Uh, but yeah, I, he had to come out. That's when Rock Armstead came in, if I can recall correctly. And, yeah, Rock took his touchdown because Leonard Fournette was on the sideline getting some air or getting a breather, should I say. So, I guess, like, he ran so hard in that first drive, he had to get a little breath and and the rest is history. I mean, look, I guess the rookie won't complain about it. First touchdown ever in a regular season game. So, kudos and congratulations to him. That's nice to see some rookie-to-rookie when when you add Minshew into the thing, uh, rookie-to-rookie connection there. But, um. Like Jacob said, yeah, the blocking was better. That was probably the key part of it. Albeit they again, they had a lot of penalties on the offensive line, uh, but they they still found a way to make it work and make it happen. But the blocking was significantly better this time around. That's been a lot of the issue in terms of these. I guess you could say the first three games before that is like the the blocking just wasn't there. And John DeFilippo said it coming into the week. Uh, I'm just paraphrasing him, but he's like, hey, we had to look in the mirror and and figure out why we aren't getting success or having the success we want in the run game and, and, and figure this thing out in terms of getting everybody blocked and being more physical and just getting the job done in the trenches because previously they weren't. So obviously they with them paying attention to detail in terms of the run game throughout practice, uh, and kudos to them to like not letting the outside noise distract them and they really honed in on the run game this week, according to the Flippo, and got those things figured out for the most part. And hopefully they can kind of continue on and, and have more success in the run game because make no mistake about it, this team uh, will only go as far as Leonard Fournette will take them on offense. So that that's a good thing to have him into the mix. And, um, 
Yeah, that was that was pretty much it. I, I like I said, I think it was it was more due to uh, the guys getting the job done in the trenches, but they got to get those penalties cleaned up. Yeah, and that is a good, uh, um, you know, a good uh, segue into uh, the bad um, as far as the penalties. The Jaguars had twelve penalties for over 102 yards, bringing them to 35 on the season. And five of those came from Cam Robinson, who at the end of the game almost blew it for us. We'll get to that here shortly. And then uh, also rookie Jawan Taylor on the other side uh, as well. So, um, of course, you know, it, it's great to come out with a win. But, uh, you know, just those penalties, man, it's just an, an ongoing problem we're seeing here on, on, on as far as the you know offsides penalties holding penalties now we know holding has kind of been a, a huge problem all over the league but they have they have finally backed off on that a little bit but um you know as far as the penalties guys what's i mean what's it going to take really is it just i mean is it just lack of discipline what's what's going on here well i think like at this point like we because we talk about it every week it just seems like it's just who they are uh, it's an undisciplined team and you got to wonder if it'll ever get fixed under Doug Marone. And uh, th- look, that's not not Doug because one thing about Doug is he's been very resilient in this these trying times to be a Jaguar coach. You know, he, he he entered the season on a hot seat, and he just keep fighting and fighting and keep finding his way to to get wins somehow. Loses his quarterback in the second series of the the season, the second offensive series, and now he's at two and two somehow, some way with a rookie from the sixth round, but. Yeah, but in terms of the actual penalties in itself, that's one thing he hasn't been able to uh, get corrected. And he he's shown the ability to, in my opinion, Doug Marone has learned a lot of lessons over time, and he's a he's adapted and and changed things and and uh, changed for the better in terms of learning from those lessons. But this is one thing he hasn't been able to uh, correct. And I mean, I guess you could say it's not him out there, the one that's committing the holding penalties or whatever the case may be, but. I guess some of it can boil down to coaching at times is what I'm saying. Uh, a, a clear example, Cam Robinson getting a holding call on week three against the Titans when he was on the backside of the play. You know what I'm saying? Like the ball was nowhere near you or ran nowhere near you. How do you get a holding penalty in that situation? Those are the kind of things that it's like, oh, man, like are these guys being coached correctly or whatever the case may be? I know personally when we made the hires, I wasn't the highest on them bringing in George Warhop, who Doug Marone brought in. Uh, Doug Marone, you know, he, he was the guy that said, you know, give him credit for that. Uh, Warhop coached Marone when Marone was a player. Uh, and, and he wanted him in. But when you looked at Warhop's resume, and I think the last place he was in was uh, Tampa Bay. But you look at Warhop's resume, the teams haven't ran the ball all that well, which is concerning for a team that has Leonard Fournette as their featured guy. So, you know what I'm saying? I would have liked to have seen a better position coach at that at that position, maybe like a Bob Wiley who was with the, the Browns or somebody along the lines of that. I had a list on Jaguars wire. I forget who else was on the list besides Wiley, but um, yeah, like I think like that may be rearing his head now. Is the struggles that Warhop has had as a coach, and it's just not translating to the players. Um, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, all these penalties, I'm kind of looking at it from the Florida State fan perspective because I've been dealing with the same issue all year, and I hear Willie say, "I can't be mad if it's an effort penalty of you just playing too hard." trying to make a play, I can't be too mad at that. 
But when you start making selfish penalties, then I have an issue. And it looks like a lot of these are what you would quote unquote call selfish. You got holding, which, you know, that can teeter between a selfish and an effort play. But like you mentioned with Cam holding on the complete opposite side where the ball is nowhere near, that's a little bit selfish, man. Like, just let him go. Yeah, like, I don't understand that, man. Just, he, it's no way like that defender can make the play. In a, I mean, and if he does make the play, Fournette's up the field like 10 yards at that point. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got to have the, 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 the knowledge, the IQ to say, hey, yeah, let me not cost my team this good yardage, especially with how Fournette's been struggling to get the ball going or, or running, should I say. Uh, the last thing he needs is a good game taken back from, a, like you said, selfish penalty. Yeah, so the way I see it, it may just be this team is a team that is going to give you six to eight penalties on average every week, and you can more or less – navigate around that if you depending upon when they come they don't shoot you in the foot like if you're getting called for a holding where you're down by three in the fourth quarter like five minutes left and Fournette just broke one for six yeah it's going to completely screw you but for the most part these penalties haven't been that impactful across the season so it's just something we're going to have to accept hopefully they can clean it up it's week four I say if we get to week eight, week eight, week 10, and we're still averaging six, seven, eight penalties, and we're still in the top five, top six of most penalized teams in the league, then, yeah, it's a problem. And it's also probably indicative that we're a team that is going to commit a lot of penalties for better or for worse. Right. And one thing to, to keep in mind here now, like the Jaguars are starting a rookie at right tackle, Jawan Taylor, who leads the league in penalties right now. And I forgot the exact number on that, but yeah, he's like, I think it's like, six or somewhere along the lines of that for him but bottom line he leads the league in penalties which i mean you know i can understand a rookie yep is six and the next person has four which is uh i think it's andre smith from the cincinnati Bengals. but i can understand like the penalties coming from a rookie especially in this situation you know like he's going against like von miller and bradley chubb so of course like he's gonna get a hold or he's gonna get a false start or, or whatever the case may be because you know he's trying to anticipate or do what he can to stop what essentially is a all pro and future hall of famer and von miller and a future pro bowler if bradley chubb hasn't been to the pro bowl already and i don't think he has uh he's trying to stop a future pro bowler as well and typically look now the jazz aren't going to face teams with that kind of a pass rushing duo in terms of uh when, when you look at um their schedule, at least I don't think so. None come to mind. They do play some good defensive teams. Uh, but, yeah, as you were saying, Jacob, now if they could get in that six to seven range, as crazy as this sounds, I'll be fine with that because a lot of their games lately have been double-digit penalty games. I know they have at least two this year. One of them clearly was yesterday on Sunday against the Broncos. And they I think the uh, – the Texans game was another double-digit penalty, and then I think the other two were single-digit penalty games. If they could get in that seven to six to eight type of range, I think we could live with that. But when it started getting in double digits, uh, you know, it could cost you. And in this case, it could have costed them because the game was only won by, what, two points or what it was. And um, but and it was another penalty, uh, I think me and Phil actually talked about this, that could have been Cam Robinson having to be wrestled to his side of the field that could have cost Josh Lambeau some yardage for the, the game-winning kick, which is just ridiculous to say in, this, in itself. 
But <laughs> you can't, like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, if it's for the game-winning field goal, you just got to let that go. Whatever was said to you, you got to let that go. And if you want to fight somebody, fight somebody after the game, okay, when it doesn't cost you in terms of a game-winning kick or a penalty or whatever the case may be. Uh, so that's another thing, man. Like, people – the Jaguars got to get their tempers in check. As much as I just praised that Doug Marone, uh, that's something that's still that immaturity and, and that 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 issue is something that just still really exists in the Jazz locker room that has never gotten fixed really since he's been the coach. Yeah, yeah, no argument there. But again, is it? This kind of comes back to Coughlin in a weird way, more specifically the conversation me and you had with Leon Cersei about how Coughlin is positioned as this disciplinarian, but yet all his teams are very much buck the system. Like, yeah, yeah, whatever. So is it really a Marone issue or is it a Coughlin issue? Right, right. And yeah, me and you actually were saying like that could, you know, that's something that the front office should, you know what I'm saying? They should put a lot into when they evaluate players. Like, is this going to be a player that's going to be selfish and, is this going to be a player that's going to be disciplined on the field, not just off the field, but disciplined on the field obviously could hurt you as well. So, yeah, you're right. Like, I mean, they're the one who make evaluations on these teams, on these players and pull the trigger on them in terms of drafting them. And, uh, yeah, that's a very, very fair point. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of categories. Of course, you want your team to be leading in penalties. Obviously not one of them. Um, of course, Jawan Taylor as you mentioned, is a rookie, and hopefully he will get everything together. But, uh, yeah, that scene at the end of the game, I've never seen someone still so upset after a win as I saw Leonard Fournette because he, he was still irritated yeah. about <laughs> about what I, what Cam Robinson had done. And we I don't know if that's come out about exactly what had happened, but, mm-hmm. I mean, who was it that he pushed out of the way? I can't remember who it was. Uh, I, think I think it was, it was O'Shaughnessy. O'Shaughnessy. Yeah, I think it was O'Shaughnessy that he pushed out of the way. Mm-hmm. And Gardner Minshew, mind you, who, what? how old is Gardner? What is, what is he, 24? 23. 23. Gardner Minshew trying to calm down Cam Robinson. Right. You know? <laughs> that scared me. Too. I was like, oh, Gardner, get out of the way. You might get hurt, bro. <laughs> like, you already yeah, got no. nicked on the on the leg already. Like, But, I mean, he was like, yeah, like you said, Gardner was just being a quarterback, being a leader, being a sensible player, trying to like, hey, Cam, it's not worth it, man. <laughs> it, it really isn't. Yeah. All I know is, Years from now, when Gardner Minshew gets that big contract and he buys his offensive line presence, Cam Robinson's not getting one. So we'll see how that <laughs> pans out. How that pans out in the future. But that Rolex of, watch, exactly. <laughs> or what? Uh, four wheelers. Yeah, exactly. Ezekiel Elliott got his uh, his own line four wheelers a couple years ago when he won the rushing title. So yeah, I'm just saying, Cam, the quarterbacks get paid. You're gonna you're gonna want that gift, okay? So. <laughs> Uh, just keep it, you know, keep it in check. But anyway, speaking of Gardner Minshew, guys, Minshew mania is not slowing down whatsoever. Not here in Jacksonville, not in the national media where the uh, Good Morning America, Good or Good Morning Football, uh, I believe is the name of the show. Uh, you know, gave a shout out to um, Bold City Cap who got uh, get that Minshew T-shirt from Duval Till We Die Shop dot com. Out on the um, out on national television, so there is just no sh- the the guy is coming for he wants that rookie of the week crown every single week. He's not allowing anyone else 
to take it from him. <laughs> and, <laughs> and as Jacob said, um, you know, if he keeps this up, we might be looking at the rookie of the year. But, uh, you know, he has uh, he won 19 of 33 for children, 13 yards and those those two touchdowns. And then the touchdown, of course, to Rock Armstead, guys, the one that everyone is talking about where he's just he's he's evading pressure and, you know, escaping defenders and then just finds Armstead in the back of the end zone. That is big time stuff man and and uh, people talk about it it was very john elway or brett Favre-esque, and uh, man yeah it's just he to go up into that environment you know and in denver even though they're 0-3 or now 0-4 uh you know that's a hard place to play you know up there yes. of course up there in, in the altitude it is a they are they are a dedicated and loud fan base no matter what is going on and gardner Minshew, he, he just continues to not slow down and not get rattled in the uh, under pressure so guys Talk about the man of the year, you know, again, <laughs> what is he just continuing to do that's just setting him apart from, you know, other uh, other rookie quarterbacks? Man, uh, for one, he makes big boy throws, man. Like, this is stuff that, like, you know, of course, everybody's like, you know, he's going to look like a rookie eventually. And he will, you know, at some point he's going to have a game where he looks like a rookie. Uh, but it's just some things that that he probably can carry on with them throughout the year. And it's these types of throws he's making and where he's putting the ball. And, you know, like for us as Jags fans, that's a, I mean, that's a big deal for anybody, but it's, it's alarming. Should I say is a better way to put it. It's alarming to us because we spent five years or so looking at Blake Bortles, misplaced balls and uh, set receivers up for the kill, if you will, or whatever the case may be, or miss receivers or like Phil said, chunk one, past the end zone and that's one thing that Gardner has is that accuracy he has that uh that ball placement I mean and he came into the league with it you know that and that's something I've always said uh and when watching these college quarterbacks and evaluating them in terms of when they come into the actual NFL is typically a quarterback that's inaccurate in college he's not going to get more accurate against uh, NFL caliber defenses or whatever the case may be he's not going to get better in that situation mostly or, or typically that's not the case you don't see that happen often uh, but if you come into this league with accuracy that is something that can translate of course there's other components that go into that uh, and that is um, you know getting the ball out of your hand quick and uh, your arm strength and and this that and the other. there's other variables that play into that accuracy as well but uh, Minshew came into this league as what I think he only Dwayne Haskins was more accurate than him last year or something to that degree. So he had that. He always had that accuracy. And he's like I say, he's making these crazy throws. And another thing is like his receivers are really helping him out as well. Uh, because they, this, like I said, they're a dynamic group. Like you got DJ Chark stretching around like he's Mr. Fantastic from the Fantastic Four. Uh, you got DD making head, heady plays like we saw yesterday. Uh, Chris Conley, I think he people are underrating how good he's looked. Chris Conley has been, I mean, he the stats aren't there, but he's made some clutch catches and he's shown some ability at, after the catch as well. So, uh, yeah, man, kudos to Gardner, though, getting back on him, man. He does look like he can make a push for that offensive rookie of the year. He should be ahead of everybody in terms of the Vegas standings, but Vegas – Clearly, uh, with him being from the small market, they got uh, Daniel Jones, Danny Dimes over him, which, I mean, what else did we expect? Like, you know, one guy plays for Jacksonville, one plays for New York. So uh, that being said, man, I'm very impressed with what I've seen out of Gardner, man, and I, I really can't wait to see more. 
Oh, yeah, you say that Minshew's going to look like a rookie at some point, and you're right. He is going to 100% look like a rookie, and I promise you it will probably be against the Titans. It will be the most mundane one game where he's like, yeah, you should light this up. Nope, nope, nope. You're going to get that 12 for 42, a buck 25, just looking horrible game. Well, hey, look, he can never look as worse, uh, as bad as Blake Bortles has against the Titans. That was <laughs> that was Blake Bortles' kryptonite. He plays the Titan. Blake could only complete nine passes, whatever the case may be. But, yeah, I mean, I, you know what? Just kind of speak on it. Actually, I think if he does have that game, it's going to be this week against the um, the Panthers. They lead the league in uh, terms of passing defense. But go right ahead, my man. Yeah. See, I hear that logic and I see that logic, but just the way history has played out, that one game where you're like, yeah, they're not going to lay an egg, they go out <laughs> yeah. and completely lay an egg. That's true. And Mishu kind of had a pedestrian 19 to 33. He had a buck 86 once you take away his sack yardage. He had a quarterback rating of 97. So it looks good, but if you like just look at the numbers, you're like, yeah, nothing special. But like you said, he had those plays. He had that scramble. He kept plays alive. Like Phil has said, he didn't airmail one to rock. So everything worked out well. And hey, man, might as well ride it while it's hot. You got Sunday countdown doing uh, bits on him with Uncle Rico. You got good morning football. Everybody, the mama's just loving Minshew and the mustache. And I feel like I say this every time we talk about Minshew. He may have been a still getting him that late in the draft because if it wasn't for Mike Leach, call, Mike Leach calling him, he'd be a grad assistant at Alabama. Saban doesn't hire people who don't have an IQ. Yeah. Yeah, we we talking about a future offensive coordinator probably. You know? Yeah, so if Minshew wants to, whenever he's done playing ball, if he wants to go coach at a high school, be an offensive coordinator at college level or something, he clearly has the capabilities of it because for Nick Saban to be like, yeah, I need you as a grad assistant here, come on. And then Mike Leach would be like, nope, nope, mm-mm, nope, mm, nope, 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 nope. Saw something random, was like, nah, nah, you got to come to Wazoo. So it's there. He has all the tools. Let's just ride this while it's hot. He's making it look good. Also, he has Fournette as a safety net. Hey, what can I say? I just need some more Minshew magic. Also, can we trademark that and get it on a shirt? Minshew magic? Uh, I think James Lofton might. Is it James Lofton from CBS Sports? I think he might sue us for that. <laughs> I think he was the first one to say that. But then again, if he, didn't get it, if he didn't get it transfer, uh, if he didn't get the the legal documentation on it, that's his fault. So <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I don't care if you said it first. I beat you to the um, I beat you to the lawyer's office. Yeah, it's not right, about right. who said it first. It's about who said it most recently and with the paperwork. Yep. <laughs> I beat you to the courthouse, buddy. I got paperwork. <laughs> I got I got the papers. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's great, man. It, it's you know we always talked about for years. Like Blake seemed like a. You know he's he's a Duval guy. He fits in. You know what I mean. He's right. but and which was true to to an extent. Um, Beach bar. But, right. Exactly. You know. And he, you know. He, oh yeah. We see him at the Ritz, and you know he hangs out with us. But I mean, honestly, if you really look at it, I mean, I don't have many six foot five. And Blake, this you know, Blake's pretty a pretty good looking guy. Okay. I don't have any six foot five friends that look like Blake Bortles. I do have some friends that look like Gardner Minshew. Okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, sir, I'm six foot four and a quarter, and you're saying I'm not good looking? 
So Gardner Minshew. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's do it. No, we will replace you. <laughs> so Gardner Minshew, I mean, I, I, I went down last week at the Mark Brunel show down at Sneakers down at Jack's Beach. And let me tell you, the, the crowd with the the crowd was crazy. The place was full. I didn't even get to uh, get get the picture or get get to talk to him because the line was just so long and he had to go. And you people – it's crazy because in that building are Miles Jack and Mark Brunel, and mm. no one even cares. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the kind of impact that this guy is having on the city. And, you know, you ha- we, we talked about how Jalen was – you know, when the trade request came up, is the most marketable and recognizable Jaguar we've ever had. That might not be the case anymore two weeks later after the trade request. <laughs> Crazy, bro. This man selling shirts, socks, yeah, you name it, bro. <laughs> he's and he's and he's very he's very good, even though he he says that he's a little shy and, and you know quiet, but it doesn't come off that way. His 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 interview after the Titans game, I thought he did great. You know, he uh, people uh I mean, he's very approachable. He's a he's an all these stories are now coming out of people um, that he's he's talked to, you know, before the game, uh, you know, in the preseason. I, I, I saw a friend post a uh, a, a Facebook story. Um, they, he was actually at uh, one of the local alehouses with some friends watching a game and some people recognized or you know, his table recognized him and his kids went up and asked for a picture with him. He said, absolutely. I guess the picture came out a little blurry. The kids were nervous to ask him for another picture, and they, they ended up doing it. And he said, absolutely. So he's, you know, he's integrating himself with the, with the community, which I don't think is very hard for him to do because I think you know, with, with him being where he's from, Jacksonville's very I – mean, we're, we're here in the south. He's very comfortable. He's very familiar with this area. And I, you know, I think that's just why he's fitting in so well. And, and the way that he played at Wazoo, you know, just – that's why he's not afraid. You know, he's just right. – he's not afraid to sling the ball all over the place where you sometimes you see these quarterbacks come in and they're very timid and they're shy and you're not getting that from him because he's used to just throwing the ball all over the field, you know, and I think that's, 50 times that's a game. exactly, you know, so he's, he's just used to it. And I, and it's, it's great to see, you know, a guy like that come in and he, no, I think he's very, he's just very aware that this could end at any point. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. week 11 or whatever, it gets closer and closer. And then we're going to have to have that conversation. I think, I mean, I know where I feel. If he's still playing this way, you can't put Nick Foles back in. Nah, I'm with you. I'm, you can't. But, uh, you know, is it, is it to boil down to, like, uh, you know, how much power the front office has, maybe, you know, because they're the ones that can make the argument about money. But I wouldn't. Minshew would, I would ride with Minshew if he's playing like he is. And that's why Philly let him go, right? That's why Philly let Foles go, because they didn't want to pay him all that money to sit on the bench. You know, is that what Jacksonville's going to do? Good question. We'll have that conversation when it when it happens. But Jacob, you you were about to say something real quick. Yeah, it's gonna say here's the problem with the whole potential issue of do we go Foles or do we go Minshew? Foles doesn't do back for what another five weeks at best. Uh, week eleven is when he week eleven return. seven weeks. So six seven weeks from now. So let's say come week eleven, I don't have a schedule in front of me, but let's just say the team is six and five. And we sit falls for week 11 because you give them that extra week. So going into week 12, the team is six and five, assuming there's not a buy in there. Do you really want to put falls back in? I mean, you have to because this becomes the issue of Kaepernick versus Alex Smith and San Fran. You can't lose your job to an injury, even if your backup is setting the world on fire. 
why you can't lose your job if <laughs> if your backup is I mean like you just if you the coach like it's if you're wrong it's too like, injury. I mean but still man if you you know what I'm saying you you address that after the season. It's like right. hey you you know what I'm saying like hey this guy's hot right now. We're not replacing you because you know what I'm saying well I'll put it this way. Minshew's hot right now. This is the case you make if you're Marone. We're going to ride this out. After the season is over, then it's another quarterback competition. And let that be that. I mean, like, and if Foles, I mean, what can Foles say if if, if Marone come to him and say that? But, again, like, it's. I got a Super Bowl. <laughs> I'm I, clutching the playoffs. I guess. But, I mean, like, like I mean. I mean, he, and he's, you know what I'm saying? He's witnessed this before. He was the one that pr- replaced Carson Wentz. Yeah, and when Wentz was healthy, what happened? Foles sat right down on the bench. So, I mean, it's that argument of, am I going to ride the hot hand or am I going to give my starter his job back because he didn't lose it due to performance. He got banged up. Right. I mean, if I was the coach, you know, it would be Minshew's job if he's playing well now. If he's not, that's a whole nother story. But yeah, let's assume he's on, like, let's assume he plateaus out in this 19 to 33 220 yards is what we're getting basically every week. That's just what we're averaging with Minshew. Do you make the play? To, do you make the change? I don't think Nick Foles is much better than that either. If that's what you're plat, you know, if that's the average, I wouldn't. I don't. I mean, like those are Nick Foles numbers, or maybe a little bit better. So what's the point in making the change? In my opinion, you know, what I'm saying I don't think like Nick Foles is going to be like this. You know what I'm saying? Like, much better than the numbers we're seeing out of Minshew right now. Oh, no. I've never said Nick Foles would ever set the world on fire. So, I'm just making the argument of you have a rookie who is currently on a hot streak. We'll assume he's going to have to level out at some point. So, when the vet comes back. And also, that's the other factor. Foles is a veteran here. Foles has playoff experience. Let's just assume, again, that the team is in a position where they could be chasing the wild card because it looks like the Colts might be able to just hold this division down this year, even without Andrew Luck, which is really miraculous in of itself. Mm-hmm. So let's assume the Jags are chasing a wild card here. Right. Don't you want your veteran that can help win a game? Yeah, I'll tell you why I, I, that don't really mean much to me, having that veteran, because Blake Bortles almost got us to the Super Bowl. That's why I whoa, would take the chance whoa, with I'm Whoa. just saying, Blake Bortles, we almost, we almost, I'll say, let me say it this way. We almost made it to the Super Bowl with Blake Bortles. A blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then also. A I, broken what, clock is right twice a day. Hey, again, it's just, I mean, we've seen cases where not so good quarterbacks have, you know what I'm saying? And I'm not saying that Minshew's not going to be a not so good quarterback, but, you know, like I, that whole veteran thing is. It don't I mean, mean nothing to me. I mean, to me I mean, personally, you're right. though. You're right. But here's the thing, because I feel like a Trent Dilfer mention is coming. No, nah, nah, I wouldn't even think about Trent. <laughs> Let me just get in front of it right now and just no. go ahead and say Trent I was thinking like Dilfer. more along the lines of Trubisky. I think Trubisky went to the playoffs last year. Yeah, but he's carried by a top 10, a top 5 defense. That's my argument I was going to say. Dilfer won a Super Bowl on the back of arguably a top 10 all-time defense. And I could probably make the argument that they're a top five all time. So you're going to need a vet leadership because this Jags defense, while great, if Jalen Ramsey is gone or isn't coming back to play due to his back or the birth of his child, and we have our buddy Harden out there getting cooked every week, 
you're going to need a vet that can make a play, especially come full season. True. No? True. True. We'll see. We'll see. But I don't know, man. Like, like I said, if it was up to me, I wouldn't. But I, I, see. I see where you're coming from with that. Yeah, I wouldn't. We'll see. But uh, yeah, Phil, continue, my man. Yeah, and you know, of course, and uh, this was a completely different era of Jaguar football, completely different regime. But remember, this franchise has made this mistake before, where uh, a David Garrard led the team to the playoffs, and they put Byron Leftwich in uh, against the Patriots, and he laid an absolute egg. And of course. You know, this is, a, like I said, there's nothing to do with, with what's going on right now. But, you know, we just hope history doesn't repeat itself. I think you, I think you go with, in my opinion, I think you go with a hot hand. And if it unfortunately does, you know, turn, you know, turn south or go go sour, then um, you have Nick Foles, you know, there with with that experience. But luckily we are a ways away from that and we need to continue to just enjoy what we've got thus far. So, uh, but yeah, of course, with the uh, with the two goods, we, we do have a uh, a bad and maybe not necessarily all his fault but uh Trey Herndon was just man where every everywhere every time he looked up it looked like he was getting beat of course you know he he had extensive playing time because Jalen Ramsey sat out uh, Cortland Sutton and Emmanuel Sanders combined for a total of 166 yards and two touchdowns on the day and they were absolutely not shy about targeting and going after Trey Herndon. So, I mean, what it really was this just a, you know, a, a bit of was this inexperience, you know, a thing or is Trey Herndon really just get exposed? Uh, well, was a little bit of both. What happened? And uh, does it have any effect you think on what's going on with Jalen? Uh well, on Herndon, I mean, like in his case and we talked about this earlier, Herndon is undrafted you know he's a guy that Tony Khan really loved I know that if I can recall like they had a lot of analytics on him about like him going undrafted and how much of a gym he can be because he went undrafted or something along the lines of that we've heard Doug Marone ran about him at times and especially in the summer during training camp uh but you know this this game might have humbled them in terms of their takes I mean and in Trey Trey's defense as I was gonna say um we talk about somebody who's undrafted compared to a all pro. So of course there's going to be a drop off there. Uh, but at the same time, like I think what concerns people is that Joe Flacco, isn't necessarily a guy that you want to have on your resume beating you like that? No offense, Jacob. I mean, but this oh, is from- <laughs> no, no, none taken. So, uh, you know, like that's, that's just a bad mark to have on your resume in, in terms of the eyes or the perspective of the fans. Um, so, uh, does it have an effect on Jalen? Um, I would like to think probably so in a sense that the Jaguars know they can't trade him now. I mean, it, it, again, who's to say he even if they keep him, who's to say he's gonna play? But that's another. That's beside the point right there. But I feel like if they they feel like they can get him on the field. They absolutely, definitely would try and keep him, and even if they can, and they don't get the the compensation that they feel is necessary for him, they'll still keep him, and he could do whatever, you know. But uh, yeah, I think it does affect the Jalen Ramsey situation. The the other question, I guess, is whether or not Jalen, if they keep him, which I tend to think they they will, uh, if they keep him, will he play? Um, but if he don't, you know, <laughs> they got to stroll Herndon out there or whatever the case may be. Um, yeah, this is directly related to Jalen and directly affects Jalen 
because it's real simple if you're Jalen Ramsey. You just walk into Coughlin and Marone's office and you hand them game film of just Trey circled. And you're just like, really? This is what you have behind me. And you want to sit here and act like this. So we can either settle this out or you get me out of here. Because if you're any NFL team, you realize Boye is still sitting on the other side of the field. You're like, yeah, I'm not touching that. Nope. Well, you, are you, you like, are you insinuated that it's about money when you say he needs to go in the office or whatever the case may be? I'm not saying it's money, but I'm saying more so, look, we're going to air this out and we're going to do things my way. Like, it's going to be a power play because Jalen can basically essentially go in and go, hey, look, you can either trade me or I'm just going to sit out the rest of the season because if I'm not mistaken, he's reported he's acute enough time where that this year counts actually towards a year on his contract. Mm -hmm. So he could just basically be like, you know what, I'm going home. So unless you place him on an exempt list or something, you can't do anything. It just takes all the power that you have or had and it just puts it all in Jalen's hands because now you're like, okay, we don't play you, so we protect our investment. That's cool. Now you're just getting cooked every day on the field. Now you look bad on one side of the field. All right, we'll play you. Jalen gets hurt. You just weakened your invest. You, now you're not getting anything because he could suffer that back. Something could happen. Not wishing this on him, but we're just playing the odds here. You have no leverage now because Jalen's backup looked abysmal, albeit one game he still looked bad when Emmanuel Sanders and Cortland Sutton could get – 160 yards on you and two touchdowns. Right. Right. Mm. Mm. I'm just saying, it might be time for a come to Jesus meeting with Coughlin, and Coughlin might need to kind of step into the 21st century and stop being so archaic with how he deals with players and their various personalities, especially when you know you have a loud mouth corner when you came here. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it's more so like a thing where ownership wants to keep him, then like that. That I mean, Jalen need to go and shot at Khan office. And look now, if that if it comes if that's the case, that's the wrong person. It ain't go. It might not go well for you if you got to go and shot Khan office because look, shot Khan is the owner of Flexing Gate, and I mean like we all know that man has made manufactured a lot of bumpers on this earth. He probably goes through like shutdowns and like uh, you know this this kind of thing happens often with the kind of business he runs. So in that case, right. you know what I'm saying like shot. Hey, he'll throw out the thing like, "Hey, I got, I got you under contract in terms of your rights. I own your rights right now. If you want to sit out, that's fine. But if I don't get the proper compensation for you, then we just gonna have to eat Trey Herndon getting out, getting cooked out there, or whatever the case may be." But and Jalen may do that because Jalen may pull a Le'Veon and just show up. Or pull what Melvin Gordon planned on doing. Melvin was gonna sit out until he got a contract. And then these people are like, yo, you have to report by this day for it to count as a year played so you can get out of here free agency. So Jalen would be like, okay, cool. I'll show up. I'll play X amount. And then you know what? I just don't want to be here anymore. I got family reasons and go disappear. And then it becomes a matter where you got to tie it up and deal with the NFLPA and litigation and arbitration and all of that. And I don't think... That Khan, Coughlin, or Marone really wants to go through that because that just looks bad on the potential of trying to attract somebody to come to Jacksonville. Right. And, well, another thing, too, that I've looked at, too, is, like, if you're Jalen, I don't think that looks good on you. If you want somebody to trade for you, too, or somebody to want you where you're a free agent, that don't look good either in terms of either way. 
You know, so I mean, yeah, they teams will take a chance on that, sure. But you know what I'm saying? Like we just we're coming especially like we're coming off a situation and like I'm not comparing A B to to uh him personally, but like, you know, we're coming off a situation where people like are looking at that A B situation like this guy has a stench from when he was with the Raiders. Do we need to be the Patriots and or or whoever the case may be and take a chance on this and maybe get burned as well? Like yeah, but that is A.B. wanting out of Pittsburgh, having no leverage whatsoever, getting traded to Oakland, working out with Oakland and being like, yeah, this ain't it, Chief. And then trying to find every way to get himself out of there, which he went through the playbook of all the options and did it and then screwing himself over. Right. This is more so a disgruntled corner who had a moment with his head coach. Topped it out. It was good with his head coach. From all reports, it's basically been like, hey, the issue wasn't so much with Marone. Why I demanded a trade? Me and him, we talked it out. We had it out. We're fine. My issue was my meeting with Coughlin and the things that he said and what happened there. And now it's like, yeah, I can't be here. So that is less of a problem player, problem child, disgruntled thing, and more of a insulated incident with just one particular person, which the league consensus is he is very archaic, stubborn, difficult, right. whatever words you want to use, not easy to get along with. We've heard this from former players, former GMs, reporters. Leon Cersei has told us this out of his mouth and not so many words that Coughlin is a very stick to his gun, stuck in his ways, unique individual. Right. And Jalen is very much a stick to his guns. This is who I am. I think you should respect me and accept things and update and come to the table, like understanding. And they just butt their heads and it's like, yo, this isn't going to work. Right. Because everything. Look, I'll just, I guess I'll just say this, man. Like if it was the NBA, I'd be like, yeah, you can get out of there. But unfortunately it ain't. And I I mean, I just leave it at this. Like, I just think Khan in particular is okay with him sitting and if you know if it comes to that sitting while being on the team, and if they have to trade, uh, they have to try Trey Herndon out there. But it's me. Yeah. Now again, NFL's, if it was an NBA, now I'll be like, oh, he's getting out of there. I mean, <laughs> NFL's kind of kind of getting like the NBA. Uh, it's a little bit that way. It's starting to trend that way. Maybe slowly. We'll see. This this uh this situation will be telling of that. We I think this will show us like if they're gearing towards that. I know this uh next lockout or uh, the new CBA is gonna be nasty. I know that for sure. But we'll see. Yeah, and the thing I don't what what you were saying earlier, Jacob, is as far as Coughlin coming to terms with this is how the way things. I he's not going to honestly. I just I don't. He's he's gonna lie out. He's gonna he's gonna. Sit back on. I've got two Super Bowls. This is how things are going to go, and I hope that ownership has the wherewithal to be like, "All right, well, bye." You know, just you can't. You <laughs> right. know, you, you you trot out, and and you know, of course, it seems like we're picking on Trey Herndon. Like I said, not a lot. Not a lot of all of this is his fault. You know, he's inexperienced. Nah, right, 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 right. He's inexperienced, and the offense, the Broncos' offense, did what you expect an offense to do when there's an inexperienced player on the other side of AJ Boye. That's what they're supposed to do. You attack the the weakness. So when you, I mean, it just emphasizes more what a generational talent AJ, or sorry, Jalen is because he just eliminates an you know a, a, a half of the field. He takes it away from the other team. It's you know I, I don't I don't know that Corlin Sutton and Emmanuel Sanders run all over you know run free all over us if Jalen's in there. It probably Absolutely doesn't happen. Not. 
You know, <laughs> absolutely probably not. doesn't happen. One thing though that I have been reading, guys, just kind of looking into, and I was at the Thursday night game, and then I was you know watching. They didn't show him too much in the broadcast, but reading his his body language, he he wants out, man. It's yeah. it's unfortunate, and of course he's still going to be a good teammate. Um, but it's I I, I honestly think this is going to end with with him being gone, unfortunately. And, you know, you just hope that we get a, a good haul and, you know, we, we kind of got, uh, we, we, the three of us went back and forth on, you know, what we think is, is possible and realistic for them to get. But Jay, you and I have said it before. I, I'm not getting rid of him for at least two second round picks. And they're, they're the first round, you mean two first, I'm sorry, two first round picks. And the report has come out that they, they already, they had denied a, a, dra- um, a trade, that didn't involve two first round picks, but my guess is that came from someone like Philly or maybe, maybe a uh, Kansas city where I don't, I don't want two 30 to 32, you know, first round. <laughs> right. picks. That's not going to help me. That's, That's two second round me. picks is what that is. Exactly. So, <laughs> I mean, maybe you move those for something else and, you know, you have a little bit of, you know, more draft capital, but look, a guy like this who fell to us, you know, and we, I was, pretty sure that dallas was going to take him i mean i would have still been happy but mm-hmm. i was pretty sure i think a lot of us were were pretty inclined to think that dallas was going to take him and and they, they didn't they found i was in that stadium the night that they made that pick mm-hmm. and as soon as the cowboys drafted ezekiel Elliott, that place went nuts because we were like holy crap it's gonna happen and you know he's he's been here and he had you know the the year of success with the team and the rest of it's been very frustrating. You know, he's a guy that wants to win, but unfortunately I had to see this going, you know, the way that we don't necessarily want it to go, but uh, it's just something that's going to continue to, to be a topic of conversation and we'll see if he suits up um, next week against, against Kyle Allen and, and Carolina and Kyle Allen's been a little inconsistent, but uh, his first game he played well, this most recent one, but they still pulled out the win. So, you know, we'll, we'll right. see what happens uh, next week in Carolina, our, uh, our sister team, uh, as far as, the, <laughs> as far as 25 year anniversaries. So, um, it will be interesting to, to go up there, but, uh, yeah, guys, um, that's pretty much all we wanted to talk about this episode. One of our shorter ones. Um, but like we said, we just wanted to focus on the win, let everybody, you know, bask in, in, in that glory and then and, and enjoy the win streak, you know, that we're, that we're currently on and hopefully we can continue when they go up to, uh, Charlotte. Um, oh, can we also talk about really quick, just, I don't know if you guys saw the video they released of Doug Marone in, in the locker room after the game, but he needs to work on his pre his post game speeches. Okay, or, or maybe just don't let, him, <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe, maybe just don't let him do that and have someone else cover it. But uh, yeah, that was just not very. <laughs> I, I wasn't very uh, <laughs> enthralled mm-hmm. by coaches, words, but uh, you know, at least they got the win. But but yeah, guys, what what else uh, you know are we working on, and what do you want to talk about to close out, and uh, we'll head into week five. Uh. Pretty much uh, preparing everybody for the Carolina Panthers, who look to be a very interesting team. Uh, I'll probably link up with Tim Weaver, the Panther Panthers Wire uh, managing editor, who actually I think he may run the Falcons Wire too. Uh, but yeah, very knowledgeable dude. Uh, we'll probably do some questions, some Q and A's. Uh, might get him try and get him like in some kind of a audio formatted type of uh, deal. If you want to do that um if he has the time to do that that is but yeah it'll be a lot of studying the panthers and i guess for today which is monday it'll be uh more so just recapping the game 
uh, and, and looking at some uh, unique stats and PFF grades and what have you? Um, yeah, not too much going on over here. Just uh, kind of enjoying a little bit of downtime and just going to see and look at the Panthers and think, hmm, can we beat the backup? It's the battle of the backups. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be interesting, man. Two two backups that kind of are playing. Well, I mean, in Allen's like Allen's case, I don't know if he's playing as good as Minshew, but they they are going into this with momentum, no doubt. The matchup, of course, everyone was waiting for going into the season, and Kyle Allen versus Gardner Minshew. You know what's funny about Kyle Allen? ESPN mentioned that um, coming out of high school, Allen was the number one rated pro style quarterback in his class. And they're like, yeah, he hit college and he kind of struggled. And I've been watching like the clips and highlights, and I'm like, oh, this kid can kind of ball a little bit. But welcome to Sac City because um, <laughs> you got to see the Jaguars, son. It's going to be a rough day. Yeah, let's hope Saxonville shows up against Carolina. Of course, we'll have a lot of stuff to preview as the week goes on. But yeah, guys, thanks again for joining us for the Jags Den podcast. Of course, you can. Um, Make sure you follow us at all of our social media sites to to stay up to date with all the latest Jaguar news. You can find us at uh, at the Jaguars Wire, uh, jaguarswire.usa today, as well as uh, underscore J Della for Jacob, sportscoin underscore Don for James, Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O for myself. But yeah, guys, uh, like I said, enjoy Enjoy the victory. I hope everybody is is in, enjoying Minshew Mania as well. Y'all stay safe. We will see you next time. Jacob, tell them, Jacob, tell them what they need to know. Uh, Miles Jack wasn't down. Was it a question or was it a? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait, you asking Phil? Is he? Uh, what, what's going on here? Miles Jack wasn't down, right, Phil? Was he? Yes, no. You know, you know damn well he wasn't down. <laughs> <laughs> the referees that ruled him down know that too. <laughs>